0: Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. 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 Please be seated. something new today, having me all mic'd up. It's good to see you on this Easter day. I hope you can hear me. And um, Thank you. And, uh, we would always like Easter to be a little bit warmer than it is today, um, but uh, there were freeze warnings out yesterday, last night, and there will be freeze warnings out tonight, even where I live. So, um and it reminded me of, a week ago, one of my colleagues, one of the docs uh, that I work with, had gotten into a, a new hobby, and gardening was his hobby, and he's very excited about it, and he, he desperately wants to transplant his flowers and his uh, vegetables that he started indoors. So he was going to do it this weekend, and I said, don't you dare. And he goes, why not? I said, there'll be freeze warnings between now and Mother's Day. And he says, no, it's, it's, it's all warm now. So I said, no, don't you dare. And um, so hopefully he heeded Mother's the warning, um, because there are many couple of freeze warnings, and probably another one before Mother's Day, because I've been burned on that too many times in my life, seeing my flowers and stuff wilt under, under a freeze warning. It's good to be with you on this great day of the church year. It is the, it is the pivotal day of the church year as well, and it is a pivotal day in the history of the world. As Christians, we believe that very strongly. Um, And if you were to sum up, the reading of the Gospel today would be in the one sentence in verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? It's a remarkable question. It was a remarkable question then. It is a remarkable question now. The definition, if you look up the word pivot, is a cardinal or crucial point. And it's interesting that the the, the Webster's Dictionary uses the word crucial since that word comes from the Latin meaning cross. And the death and the resurrection of Christ then is the pivot of history. Now, when I was in college, um, we would, uh, I was my uh, minor in um, history and, and literature, and um, we had a lot of reading to do, and not only the classics that we read in theology, but also classics. Um, in uh, different um, uh, different periods of church history, and um, so s- some of us would read. Uh, because of that, we would get um, a history about that, and uh, and we would also hear some things as we were to read and understand the um, the uh, the church and as it was moving toward from its infantile stage to the present. But if you didn't get to do those readings in college or even in high school today, you have the New Testament records. Now, even though you might have read those, some of you might not believe that. I don't know. And we come upon the death and the resurrection of Christ here at this point and the death of Jesus um, all this past week and Holy Week. Um, There was surrounding it a lot of confusion sometimes. We have the resurrection of Jesus, which in as to look at, we will look at today is filled with bewilderment, confusion, and even uh, controversy. And the controversy still goes on today. It's, a difficult, it's difficult, especially um, for those who um, think that religion in general, no matter whether it's Christianity or any other religion, is really just a lot of, as one uh, colleague of mine said, a lot of magical thinking. It's difficult for even those who claim they are Christians, uh, especially the clerics in the churches around the world, um, as they try to explain away so many times um, the things that are in the Bible, especially, especially the New Testament. And they always have a difficult time, I suppose, um, when, we look, uh, when they look or try to explain um, the, uh, the, the problem in verse that we find in verse 42 in Luke 24. Um, When it says that, and he said this to him, um, excuse me, when he said this, he showed them the hands and his feet, and while they still did not believe it was because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Difficult even for the liberal clerics um, to, uh, to explain that, and explain it away. Now, today our teacher is the, is the evangelist, what we call the evangelist Luke. He is not an apostle. Um, he is not an apostle because he did not see the risen Christ. These are all things that he recorded. Um, he, is, um, he was the author not only of the Gospel of Luke, but also of the second volume, and that is called the Acts of the Apostles. The two volumes represent 20, over 27% of the New Testament. And um, he wrote more than the Apostle Paul. And so it is important that uh, we pay attention to him. And um, he's an historian. It is pointed out in Colossians 4 that he is a doctor. He is a physician of his day. Probably, probably um, educated somewhere in Antioch, where it is believed he was, uh, he was uh, raised and, and uh, probably born and raised. And so he was under the influence of the of the education of the former Greek Empire. And so Luke 24 is probably one of the most uh, beneficial books, and uh, Luke is a great teacher for us in the church as well. I think it's important that we understand that, um, that Luke is a good teacher. <coughs> I remember years ago when I was out of college and came home to a kind of a reunion of, and some of my friends um, I found out had kind of wandered and lost their faith, and they had lost their faith because basically they went to schools and were indoctrinated, I think, and went to churches even more, even worse, by clerics by by clergy um, who tried to explain away the gospel, especially the miracles of Christ. But Luke is a good teacher. Um, He pays attention to detail. and He selects certain things that help us to understand. He does not give us the whole history of everything that occurred after Jesus' resurrection. And he knows more than what we have in this chapter in Luke 24. There are three stories. Three very short, concise stories. We know that there were more uh, because we read in Acts chapter 1... Um, that uh, that Jesus spent forty days with the apostles, the disciples, teaching them and expounding on things from the prophets. But here we have only three things. And Luke knew, I think, and in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that three things were very important. The three stories, and he said he selects these. And it's three stories that happen over a period of 22 hours. The first story occurs in the early morning. The women found the empty tomb, which is what we'll discuss today. And then in the afternoon, two men are on on the road out of Jerusalem, going back to Emmaus, having been there for the Passover feast. And then in the evening, where the core of the disciples are hidden in the upper room, as we call it, and Jesus... Uh, makes a spectacular disclosure. But we might say that there's so much more that we could know, and yet we find under the inspiration of the scripture that God only wants us to know three stories. The pattern of the three stories is the same. A, the disciples are at a loss, they are confused, they are baffled, they are bewildered. B, they are rebuked by someone who comes alongside of them and puts things into perspective. And then three, the explanation given to them that if they had had it, it would have made everything clear. So the women are coming on the first day of the week, Luke says, early in the morning, and they took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found, to their amazement, the tomb rolled away. And perhaps on their way, in fact, in one, one of the Gospels, they are talking to themselves or to each other, excuse me. And they are saying, <clears throat> among other things, what's going to happen when we get to the tomb and, the, and we have to roll the, tomb, the stone away? Because it was one of those tombs, almost what we would call today, by today's standards, almost like a mausoleum. And, and so they had to roll the stone. Where would they find the people to do that? Because you see, there were no men that were accompanying the women. What they needed was a couple of, at least a couple of brave, strong men. And they were looking and could not find them on the way. And maybe they could find maybe just one or two strong men, but they could not find them. Because they, like the rest of the disciples, were very much afraid and had hidden for fear of the authorities, the Gospel said. And so to their amazement, they find that the tomb is rolled away. The stone is rolled away. And two angels are there. Two men, the chapter says, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood behind them, beside them. And in their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground. And the angels say this, Why do you search for the living among the dead? Why are you searching for somebody in a cemetery? There are times in which, and there are people today that are searching, and they're searching for the living among the dead. If you have a chance to go into bookstores, and there are not too many anymore, it seems, but anytime I see a bookstore, I go into it. I like to hear the pages turn. I like to lick my fingers and turn the pages, and I like to underline things. But if I do, I stop with great frequency into the bookstores, And I go all the time to the New Age and the philosophy section, to where they have the books on Eastern mysticism, to the religious section. And wherever else it is, and invariably I find people there pulling all the books off the shelves and the the power of positive thinking and the manifestation or manifesting your inner powers. And I fight the temptation sometimes to shake people or stand on a chair and say, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Because to the extent that we have any longing and search for spiritual reality, it is that which is placed there by the seeking and searching power of God. And yet men and women are content to look for Jesus who is just a noble hero. A Jesus who is a research project so their children can get an A as they deal with a historical figure at school, if they ever hear the word Jesus in school. A Jesus who's a wonderful example. But the one thing they do not anticipate is what these women didn't anticipate. Namely, a risen, living, empowering Jesus who walks and talks And changes their life. This is the Jesus of the New Testament. We are not here on a Sunday morning. To revere the memory of somebody who was around. We're here to celebrate the presence. Of someone who is alive. You see I don't have a relationship. With the Bible. I have a relationship with Christ Jesus. I meet Jesus in the Bible. I hear his word in the Bible. He guides me to his truth. I talk to him. I listen to him. And I meet with him in the company of his children as we are doing today. And I celebrate the presence, his presence in the communion. And I rejoice in the fact that he is the risen Christ and that he is not a theory. That I am in love with or a philosophy that I have been embraced by some religious, mystical notion. And this Christianity is what we are here for today. And you see, this is the one thing the women didn't expect. You see, loved ones, you need to understand how dead and finished and buried was the notion concerning Jesus in the minds of these people. And the scripture says that we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. That's what the two on the road to Emmaus said. That's the second story. We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. But that's all in the past, they said. It's all in the past. You see, the Messiah was to come and champion and drive out the, the forces that were, cap- that were in capturing Israel were the people of God. Set up a new kingdom and rebuild the temple. That was the three things that was the, that was the Messiah to do. And now they say, well, that was in the past. On to plan B on the road to Emmaus. Whoa. And so the rebuke is from the, from the angels. And not only is it a rebuke, it's a redirection. Because it says in verse 6, he's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you? Remember is a key word in Luke chapter 24. Remember how he told you? While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And they remembered. What does it signify? It signifies that the empty tomb carries no clear, irrefutable message, nor any other miracle for that matter. On its own, the empty tomb cannot persuade anybody. We have them and we point to them. But on its own, it cannot persuade you into believe. Look at verse 11 in our text. But they did not believe. When the, when the women came back, they run back to Jerusalem into the city and they see the apostles, the disciples. And it says they did not believe the women because the word seemed to them like nonsense. The only one who thinks about it is Peter. That's another sermon. They didn't believe it. Why didn't the disciples believe it? Because of the women's testimony? Because in that day, in the first century, women were not allowed to testify in the courts? Well, perhaps. But the bottom line was, and still is today, they didn't believe that dead men rise. And you see the same three reasons that the tomb could have been empty are the same reasons that people use today. Oh, they went to the wrong tomb. There's a long history of using that as an excuse. Oh, well, the body was snatched away by disciples or maybe by the enemies. Most likely more so than of the disciples. William Tyndale in the 1400s was executed for wanting to have the Bible in English. Did they allow him to be be buried in a grave? No. (laughs) They burned him at the stake, and then they dismembered him and spread him out in the country so that he wouldn't, wouldn't be some kind of demigod that people stand up to and remember. They didn't want that. It's happened throughout the centuries with anybody or maybe he was resuscitated the coolness of the tomb you see, has always been an explanation and it was just enough for him to push the stone away and then run off somewhere else and die these are all these are all arguments whole arguments since the first for the first century of why that jesus was not risen from the grave And you see, the bottom line here is that all the evidence that you could point to, and it's good that you do, there was even a book written by a man by the name of Morris Morris, in the 1940s. He was a lawyer, and he took all the rules, the scientific rules of evidence, and looked at the scriptures, and looked and studied, and put put everything about the resurrection and, and the evidence, and came up and said, by the rules of evidence in court, he rose from the dead. Even that won't help. What then does our Christian faith? What then does your Christian faith depend upon? The words of Jesus. Verse 6. Remember how he told you? Remember how he told you? The angels go back to everything that Jesus told the disciples. And said, remember? And they go, yeah. So what was he doing? He was opening up the scripture. He was opening up the word. You see, we live in an age that are fascinated by stories of empty, that are equivalent to empty tombs and angelic visitations. And if you want to hear from God, if you want to know about God, if you want to meet God, Then ultimately, and finally, and savingly, you meet him in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. And you are encountering the Son, his Son, God's Son, in the pages of the Bible. That's why we have all these these scripture readings every single Sunday. Old Testament, New Testament, Epistle, Psalms. And that's why so many of us know so little about God, because we've never really considered the Bible. If you're talking to a friend and you really want them to know about what you believe in, put it into their hands a New Testament. Give them the Gospel of Mark, which is only 16 chapters, so they can read it within a couple hours. And so they didn't believe. You see, the empty tomb didn't convince the women, and it didn't convince the disciples. And it didn't convince the two on the road out to Emmaus. And we find the same thing in the Gospel lessons, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, don't we? And the rich man dies. You know the story. The rich man dies, he goes to hell, and he's finding himself there. So he's concerned at first... Um, He gets a little bit relief from water. That's what he really wants, which he is denied, by the way. And then he asks Abraham, Father Abraham, go and tell or send somebody to tell my brothers about the danger of ending up in this place where I am. And the dialogue proceeds. And finally, it ends up with a rich man giving orders. He says, no, no, no. People will still be giving orders. It's amazing. They'll still be giving orders and still be denying and still being rage, raging. And Abraham says, no, 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 son. If somebody would go to... It, 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 no one can go to your brothers. And Abraham says, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets when they were living, they will not pay attention to the Bible, in other words. They will not hear the word of God written. They will not believe even if someone were to rise from the dead. But in 6 and 7, the angel says, remember the prophecies. Remember what Jesus told you. So we come back to the women, don't we? Well, I think it's important to understand that. It's important to wrap this up, though, and let you get to your Easter ham. I know you're excited. So let me end where I began, with the women on the first day of the week. Early in the morning, women, spices prepared, ready for action, following their hearts and not their heads into the realm of disappointment and decay. And eventually their bewildered silence gives way to this topsy-turvy recounting of the sight that they'd seen and that the words that they've heard. And the, her- the words are once again rehearsed for them. no one, I remind you, no one, who wanted to fabricate a convincing account of the resurrection in the first century, in first century Palestine, would ever dream of doing it this way. It would make much more sense and be much more believable if Jesus first appeared to the Sanhedrin and to the Pharisees and to King Herod we would believe that first. And it's a classic illustration of what the Apostle Paul refers to. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And to ponder that, I need nothing other than a mirror, don't you? Look around, we're just ordinary folk from ordinary means, doing ordinary things every day. I mean, you know, we're not the beautiful people that you would see in Miami or Los Angeles walking the red carpet. We don't have any kind of prestige. We're just ordinary people. And a lot of people today, maybe some of you who came today, are in a crisis. You've come to a part of your life and you don't know what it means. And every church will be filled this morning and they are filled with groups of individuals who will conceal all the things that really rock their boat and wrestle us to the ground and pin us to the mat and says, and God says, you are my people. You are my church. You are the ones I have called because I chose the weak things and the things that aren't to show the things that are, but they're really not by the power of the risen Christ. Rejoice in the fact That Jesus has chosen you and I to understand through his word, through his scripture, the facts about the risen Lord and the life he gives to men and women and children. Let us pray. Father, I thank you on this Easter Sunday for this passage that shows us that nothing else but your word reveals who you are. And I pray that you will forgive us when we are tempted to rely on who we are or what we think we are, as if somehow or another we are presented that which you you need in order to accomplish your purposes. And yet by your wisdom and your love for us, you have put your treasure in old clay pots so that the power, the transcendent power of the Most High God be seen and belong to you and not to us. And on this Easter Sunday, forgive us in our thinking wrongly about these things, but encourage us, encourage us that you come to us sometimes doubting us, sometimes we who doubt, sometimes we who are skeptical, sometimes we who are confused and you shine the light of your word upon our hearts and our minds and set us up and ready for another day, another part of the journey. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.